Today's reading will be found in Ephesians 1, 3 through 13. Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 13. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to put on hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Good morning, church. Wow. I'm going to have to get some better glasses. Good to see you back there, Jake. I got gotcha. you. righty. I'm Bernard Krogsgaard. My wife, Alicia, do you want to put your hand up, honey? Okay. And we've been married for 30 years. Yeah, we had a great day yesterday. I was very encouraged. You guys have a great activity happening with your Friends Speak program. And for those who have been thinking, hey, I should get involved, I really encourage you to. Uh, we live in a country that's filled with all kinds of people from all kinds of places in our world, and we have a great opportunity to serve other men and women from different places by helping them with their English and by being their friends. So I was very, very encouraged. It's great looking over the audience and seeing that uh, God's world is represented here in this building, uh, have had similar experiences in going and worshiping in Saskatoon. It's, uh, it's beautiful to see that God can bring us together in Jesus. Need your participation. Um, want you to do something. It's not too difficult, but maybe you can practice. Can you do this right for a minute? Can everyone do that? All righty. Good. Just a couple questions. First of all, I want to ask you, how are you this morning? If you're good, go like this. All right. Lots of thumbs. If you had a good week. Not quite as many thumbs. Now, this one I want you to think about just for a few seconds. Do you feel today as safe as you did two years ago? 
a lot fewer thumbs. There are some things that have been happening in our world that have been impacting us in lots of ways. And a lot of those ways have been negative. So I'm going to start this morning by sharing some things that are happening that maybe don't sound really positive, but they're reality. And then from there, we're going to swing into some positive things that come from the book of Ephesians, things that we need to remind ourselves about and things that we need to hold on dearly because they're reality from a heavenly perspective. Some of you may not know, but I'm a school teacher. So I got to share some of my school knowledge, right? When Jesus was on the earth, there were about 250 million people. So if you took the population of the United States, that's about how many people lived on the earth at that time. In 1900, our population in the world had grown to about 1.4 billion. Basically, today, that would be the population of China. So just over 100 years ago, we'd grown to be China in terms of the world. And we are now pushing 8 billion people on the face of the earth. So we are five times as many people than there were just over 100 years ago. Five times as many mouths that have to be fed. Now, there's some challenges that come with that. One of the realities is, is that in our world, three quarters of it is water. And of that water, 97.5% of that is water that we can't use for agriculture or for human consumption. It's salty water. So that leaves us with 2.5% that we can use. Today, there are 800 million people in our world that don't have access to clean water. Today in our world, of the children under five years of age that will die, 20% of them will die because they had to use dirty water for consumption. Today in our world, half of the hospital beds that are filled are being filled because of people drinking dirty water. We have a world crisis, but we live in Canada. We have 25% of the world's water, fresh water. And so some of these facts and some of these realities are very distant to us. We really don't know what that's like. In addition to that, only 4% of the land that we have in the world is usable for growing crops. We have this huge population. We have a dire crisis because of water. And arable land oftentimes is being destroyed through our agricultural practices. Doesn't sound very good, does it? And then we add to that the political jargon of our neighbors to the south. The military saber rattling by Russian leader Putin saying that we are back into a cold war between the United States and Russia. And so if you're listening to the news, 
there's some realities out there that can say, yeah, my world today is not as safe as it was two years ago. I think most of us recognize that fact. Okay, so here we are. We live in Winnipeg. We're worshiping here. Is this Central Church of Christ? Okay. I know you changed locations. I didn't know if you changed names. Okay. So what does that say to me? I'm here in a church. I've sang songs this morning saying, I believe in the love of Jesus. I believe in the love of God. And yet I'm living in a culture that is marked by individualism, consumerism, materialism. And I'm being impacted by all these forces. And unfortunately, there's another force taking place in our world. When there was about 1.4 billion people on the face of the earth 100 years ago, 95% of Canadians were church-going people. They had what they claimed to have a church affiliation. On any given Sunday morning today, 4 to 5% of our population will be in an assembly to worship God. That is a huge cultural shift. And that is impacting all of us. And that is impacting our young people. And just now, Creation Ministries have come out with a video, a study that they've done, saying that 85% of our children are leaving our churches in the larger picture of evangelicalism. And one of the major reasons that they're leaving is because we as a church have not, and we as parents have not, prepared our children in biblical truth to deal with the forces that are playing upon the lives of our children in our world today. That's serious. Not only is our world less safe, but we are probably less prepared to deal with the threats that we have in our world today. So I want us to spend some time this morning in the book of Ephesians, and I want to challenge us to become more serious about what we just read in Proverbs chapter 2. It talked about gaining knowledge, gaining understanding, desiring it more than silver, desiring it more than the greenbacks in my wallet. Because the greenbacks are not going to deal me well with eternity. The only one that can deal me well with eternity is being in relationship with my Heavenly Father. Let's pray before we get started. Father, this morning, help us to be motivated and challenged again to be very intentional about our walk with you. Help us as moms and dads, as grandpas and grandmas, as aunts and uncles, as brothers and sisters, to help each other, Father, to walk closely to you so that we, Father, can be your instruments of peace in this city, in this province, in this country, and in this world. Father, help us to be what you want us to be. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So the next thing I want to talk to you a little bit about is what's called your worldview. 
A worldview is how you see the world. And most of us living in Canada, we don't even think about these things. We get busy doing our day-to-day routines. We get up in the morning, we hurry, we get showered, we get our teeth brushed, we eat, we run out the door, we go to work. And then we come home, get our kids, we've got to do all the kids' stuff, get them to bed, go to bed, and we run this daily routine, right? But life's good, because I live in a nice house, I have a nice car, I've been able to pay my mortgage, I've got life insurance as well as mortgage insurance, and I fed my family this week. Life is good. But some of the bigger questions that have been always asked by human beings over time maybe aren't being addressed. And the one really important question is, who are you? Who am I? And how I answer that question or how I don't answer that question has some really significant impact upon how I'm going to live my life. Our world is saying that you have value if you're good looking, if you're a good athlete, if you have money, if you have a good job, if you have some property in the right part of town. And if you go on these international travels that I like to do, like some of you going to Mexico, right? Then you have value. You're significant. You've had success in the world, in life. But that's not what God says. God says your identity and my identity don't come through things that are physical, that aren't going to last, but they come out of who God is. That God, the creator of the world, who made us, who planned for our salvation through Jesus, who sent his son to die on the cross and has sent his spirit to reside within this group and within us as people. God says you're significant and you have importance because you are his. He made you. And he loves you and he proved it through the death of his son upon the cross. And he loves you so much and wants you so much to be in a relationship with him that his spirit dwells with us. Our identity is not found in things, it's found in being in relationship with God. But we're not hearing that message in our world. And our kids aren't hearing that message in the school. And so we have to be even more proactive as individuals, family leaders, and church people in making sure that that's a message that our children are hearing every day. That our children understand they have identity and significance because they are gods. And if we don't do it, it's not going to get done because that's not a message they're going to hear on the TV. All right? The passage that was just read to us said something incredibly important. Ephesians chapter 1. There's a whole sermon in itself, probably five or six sermons. A couple of you preachers up here can take care of that in the next month. Okay? Shane's going to be gone for what? Just today? Okay, okay, all right. So we'll have extra preaching tonight. Get it ready, okay? All right. Ephesians chapter 1. What does he say? All spiritual blessings are found where? 
They're found in Christ. All spiritual blessings. Verse 4 of chapter 1. What does he tell us? We are what? We are what? Chosen. Chosen in him. Chosen to be what? Holy and blameless in his sight. I'm not holy. I'm not blameless on my own accord. But God imputes his holiness, his righteousness. He gives to me through Jesus what I don't deserve. And so I'm chosen in Christ Jesus. And I love what it says in verse 7. We have been redeemed. We have been bought back. And God has made payment by Jesus dying on the cross. So I belong to God. And you belong to God. And we need then to learn to live in a way that demonstrates that we belong to God. We need to believe this so much It needs to be so ingrained in us that we demonstrate light and salt in our world. Because people outside these walls, they're not seeing light and they're not seeing salt. And people who come from other countries and other cultures, many times they come with values that are far richer spiritually than we have in our own culture. But they get captivated, too, by the materialism. They get captivated by the consumerism. And suddenly church becomes a place where we are to be entertained. And if the preacher doesn't do a good job, not much worth going there. Right? If the music isn't good, well, I'll go find some place else that has better music. Is this about me receiving Or is this about me being identified in Christ and then being developed, being mature, being a growing person who becomes useful in the service of God? Look at chapter 2, verse 10. We are created in Christ Jesus. We are his what? We are his workmanship. If you didn't bring your Bible this morning and there's no overhead, I noticed there's some Blue Bibles under the chairs. So you might want to pull one out because we're going to spend a lot of time looking at some different passages in Ephesians. Okay? We are his workmanship. That doesn't mean that I am brought into Christ to be a spectator. I've been brought into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ so that I can be part of you and together we can work together. And if you go over to chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, we're told that God has put different roles in the church. Teachers, shepherds, teachers, shepherds, evangelists, prophets, apostles. For what reason? To do the work of the church. No. It says to prepare God's people for works of service. So those who are in roles of leadership within the church, they're not there to do the work. They're there to lead us and guide us and help us as they themselves are developed to develop all of us to become this finely honed mechanism of God that is used by God 
to do what he wants done in this world. That leads us to another problem. You see, we live in a time when institutions are not looked upon favorably in our culture. And especially the institution called church. Talk to your neighbors. Invite them to church. You'll find out really quickly what they're thinking about church, won't you? Either with a no or maybe a few other descriptive words to go with it. Why is that? When we were in Eastern Europe doing Let's Start Talking years ago, typically people would say, I don't believe because of the history of what I've seen in Christendom. And then they would go to things like Northern Ireland and talk about the killing between the Protestants and the Catholics. They would talk about the Crusades and things that had happened in history because of Christendom. And the only thing that I could say to them is not everything that's done in the name of Christ is of Christ. And so even in our own history, I remember growing up where we as churches were so engaged in bad-mouthing other churches that there were battles taking place. And I grew up in Radville, Saskatchewan, and it was a town that was divided between French, Catholic, and English. And one day, just across the street from our school, there were some Catholic children that were doing a worship activity, and kids from my school were hiding behind the bushes, throwing rocks at them. Okay? Do you think that that says to the unbeliever, hey, I want to be a part of that. That looks like fun. They're saying, I'm not going to find answers for my life there. And so as brothers and sisters, whether our situation is good or whether our situation is different, if we are deeply ingrained in God and people can see that we have healthy solutions and healthy ways of responding to celebratory times and difficult times, they're going to say, hey, what they believe in makes a difference. But brothers and sisters, we've got to believe in the value of the church. And one of the first reasons we have to believe in the value of the church is go to chapter 5. Chapter 5 of Ephesians. Somebody else who's very precious to us believes in the value of the church. Drop down to verse 25 of chapter 5. Halfway through the verse, it says, Christ loved the church. Yeah, he died for me. But Christ loved the church, and what did he do? He gave himself up for her. In the mind of God, the church is precious. In the mind of God, Christ died for the church. So for me to sit back and look at it simply from a human perspective and poo-poo on the church, Scripture says the church is the bride of Christ. I'm not going to endear myself to any groom when I'm talking bad about his bride, right? Saying that her clothing is ugly or that she's ugly. Is that going to endear me to a groom? 
And Jesus is our groom. And we're part of that bride of Christ. And Jesus died for his bride to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word. To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And so in the mind of God, the church is central to what all of this is about. In the mind of God, he loves his church, so much so that Christ died for it. And if I'm going to be part of the body of Christ, if I'm going to be part of the bride of Christ, then I also have to be growing in my knowledge and my understanding, seeking after it more than even silver, so that I have a proper understanding of what the church is. Let's look at some roles that the church plays as addressed in the book of Ephesians. So first of all, go to Ephesians chapter 2. There's an interesting address that takes place. Verses 11, 12, and 13 talks about that the Jews and the Gentiles were separate. Talks about that the Gentiles were without God, they were without hope, they were, did not have access to the promises that the Jewish people had under Israel. But then God says, all of that changes in Jesus. And so God, just like we have people from all nations and different races and colors and languages here this morning, God is bringing people together in Jesus Christ. And it's exciting to see what he's doing here at Central. That's who we are. We are all individuals. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. We're all in need of the blood of Jesus. And together, there is something very significant happening, and it's evident here. And that's positive to see. So, I want you to drop down to the end of chapter 2 to pick up something that is extremely important. Starting in verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. God is working, building us into being a holy temple for him. And then look at the last verse. And in him, that is in Christ, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is a spiritual activity. This is a spiritual group. We are part of God's plan, and he is choosing to use us, to build us, to make us, to develop us, to further us so that his spirit can dwell with us, that his glory will be a part of us. We have significance 
that our world can't even begin to offer anything in comparison. I want you to go to chapter 3. Chapter 3, he talks about the mystery. He mentioned it in chapter 1. He mentions it again in chapter 3. The mystery is that the Jews and Gentiles can all be together in unity. There's something else that's really important, starting in verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, through us, through the church universally, and we're a part of that, it's his intent, God's intent, Christ's intent, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What's he talking about? There are other places in the New Testament where Scripture is talking about that in the Old Testament, God spoke through the prophets and he spoke through different individuals. And it said that even angels long to look into those things. God spoke truths through prophets to human beings, sharing with us information, giving us insights into what he was doing. And even the angels did not understand what God was up to. In the church, in this activity, in this bringing together of people, of raising us up to be a holy temple, God is doing something in the spiritual realms. There are entities that are learning about what God is doing because of what they see happening right here. We are part of a glorious plan of God. We've been invited into that. We've been bought into that through the blood of Jesus. God has some great needs in our world today. And God isn't going to solve those needs through political entities who are badgering and throwing arguments at one another about how good or not good they are looking. God wants to use you and me and our brothers and sisters collectively as a whole, working together for his purposes. Are we not privileged? It's good to see this church growing. It's going to be good to see this church not just residing in this place, but as I talked with one individual this weekend, they talked about the possibility in the future, maybe there will be other satellite groups. How many people live in Winnipeg? 750,000? And we might think, well, what can we do? It's not up to us. Let's be willing servants. God will do incredible things. Oh, is that right? Chapter 3. We read about the love of Christ this morning. Thank you, Mr. Locke. But don't stop. Go to verse 20 of chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. We can't even begin to understand the things that God wants to do and will do. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power 
that is at work where? Within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So ultimately the question comes back to, am I willing individually? Are we willing as a couple? Are we willing as a family? Are we willing as a church to be God's instruments? Are we going to be as surrendered as God needs us to be? Are we going to allow him to tell us who we are, what our identity is? Are we going to allow him to use our time, our energy, our abilities that he's gifted us with, our money, our resources, are we going to allow him to use those to eternal glory? It comes back to that. God's waiting. He's ready. He's already at work. He's done some great things. He's doing great things. But we haven't even begun to see what he wants to do. Let's pray. Father, I have to confess it's probably, and it is, it's easier to say these things than it is to surrender to them. But you have a great body of people, a great family that meets in this place. God, it's evident that you've been blessing them by giving them this location. You've been blessing them by bringing opportunities into their personal lives and into their family life so that they can share Jesus with others. But Father, help us to look beyond what we can see and help us to trust you to take us places, to do things through us, to reach out to a lost city, to a lost province, and ultimately, Father, to eight billion people of this world who need to know about Jesus. Help us to be that living water. Help us to reflect the light of Jesus. Help us, Father, to demonstrate that our identity is not in stuff, but it's in you. It's in Jesus. Bless this church, Father. It's in your son's name we pray.